I want to look at, uh, start with, the, in the book of Jeremiah 29 today, um, look at principles of well-being. I want to read a verse, and I, then I'll ask you how many of you have had this verse be special for you at times. It says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. How many have run across that at some point and gone, oh, I need that right now? A lot of us have. The thing is, that originally was written to a group of people where God's telling them, you're going to go off, you're going to be hauled off into another country for 70 years. But he's already outlining that he has good intent for them in spite of the fact that they're going to be carried off and their country's going to be conquered. Now, the benefit for you and I, when we read a verse like that is, is that because God is unchanging, there are certain principles that we can cling to in this particular thing when we look at it and go, okay, God has a big plan. He plans way ahead. He has good intent for humanity. And, and so we start adding in those things, that his desire is to see us flourish. And so once we gather that and hang on to it, uh, that becomes very precious to us too. It's not just for the ancients. And so when this was being prepared, um, Jeremiah is being told, he says, tell the people that they can go there, that they are to build houses, they're to plant gardens, they're to marry their kids off, and they're to grow, not diminish. Isn't it true that oftentimes when people look around the culture and go, I don't know, things are pretty bad. I don't know if we should have kids. That's something that's been virtually every generation. And yet, in this particular case, God's telling them, you're going to be carried off into another country, a country there where you don't want to go, and yet I'm telling you, go ahead and flourish there. Pretty amazing. Um, so they, they're told this, and then, uh, you know, he's, he goes on and he says, if you will seek me in prayer and worship, you'll call out to me, you'll find me available to you if you seek me with all your heart. So there's kind of a condition linked to this going, it isn't enough just to have a, a bad time. It's not enough just to have things not going well. There has to be a turning of the heart that says, God, we need your help. We need you. And to participate in prayer and worship that way and seeking him, that opens the door for his release. Now you realize that if people were going there for 70 years, that means most of them would not have been coming back when they were finally released. And yet God's still saying, I have good intent regarding you. Pretty powerful idea. Uh, Joshua was told when he was entering the land, the Lord spoke to him and said, this law or the scroll must never leave your lips. Memorize it day and night, and you carefully obey all that is written. Then he says, and I will prosper, and you will prosper and be successful. I repeat, be strong and brave. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. So again, Joshua's getting ready to go into the land. He's been handed the law from Moses, and he's told, don't forget this. Keep it in your speech all the time. Memorize it. You know, there's, there's something to this even now. 
you know, of, of tying in and just saying, this has got to be a part of my life. It's got to be a part of my conversation. And then he's told, be strong and courageous. It's interesting to me that in this particular season, that fears are accentuated in a lot of people. Have you thought about that at all? How there's an intensity right now of fear? Is it because partially that if you don't have the hope of a long-range vision in the Lord, that everything has to happen in the form of well-being and justice now? And so there's a fear that if it doesn't take place in the moment, it's not going to happen. And so that fear is accentuated where it comes across and just says, what are we going to do? How is this going to work? What are, you know, how do we make things happen? Because there's not this hope that is long range. Um, you know, you can look at the same thing and say selfishness accentuates when there's this kind of thing. I need to take care of myself. Or, you know, you just you start rolling it through. And un ungodly behavior can really be accentuated through situations like this because of the unknown, because of the, the potential of disaster. And yet, if we have this strong hope ongoing, we don't have to be consumed by such things. Psalm 37, the Lord grants success to the one whose behavior he finds commendable. In Proverbs, there's a few verses I want to read. It says, the greedy person stirs up dissension, but the one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. The one who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but the one who walks in wisdom will escape. The one who gives to the poor will not lack, but whoever shuts his eyes to them will receive many curses. So again, it's almost counterintuitive, right? The idea of giving away what you have, knowing that there's going to be blessing returning, how does that happen except through the Lord? In the natural, it just can't happen. But there's this promise given over and over. Okay, what I want to do is I'd like to walk through 10 factors of well-being. Because we can say, okay, well, what does prosper mean? What does it mean to, to have life together, so to speak, or have it working? Um, I'll admit that I borrowed this somewhat. I was watching a thing by a guy named Curtis Stone who has a video called Urban Farmer. And he had eight principles of capital, or eight forms of capitalism. He had borrowed it from Greg Landua and Ethan Rowland, and they wrote something in 2011. I changed it again, even my definitions aren't quite the same, so if that means anything to you, fine. I've done my best to give credit. Okay? Number one, ten factors of well-being. There is a spiritual side of us that no one can deny. And if you're willing to let God have his place in it, he is going to show you something bigger than what you are. That's why he says, if, if you'll take up your cross and follow me, if you'll deny yourself, you know, you'll need... <laughs> I sure butchered that. He said this, uh, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In Luke's account, it says daily. But the idea is, if, if you want to, to be in tune with Christ, you're going to have to let go of some of your own thoughts that are momentary. You're going to have to let go of some of your own dreams. 
you're going to have to acknowledge that there's a bigger plan and, a, and an orchestration of things that's wider than what we're familiar with. That's why it's so intriguing to me when we are looking at Jeremiah and saying, God planned this 70 years in advance. Remember when he told Abraham, you're going to, people are going to be hauled off into Egypt? They're going to be there 400 years. He, he has a plan well in place before it ever takes, before it ever happens. There's going to be several more generations in Israel even before they move. And yet, he's making these declarations saying, essentially, I got it under control. You know, the hope that I have when I'm reading passages like this and going, well, God knows what's going on with COVID. He knows what's going on with government. It doesn't truly matter to him. He has a plan. There's something peace-giving in that. You don't find a sense of true purpose and destiny without this awareness of a bigger picture. Yet in that, you can walk in peace and joy and function at a level that isn't available except that you have this confidence of an eternal hope. Let's look at the second thing. Let's talk about emotional health and well-being. During this season, people will talk about stress. You know, I don't know how it's going to work out. You always have stress. Stress is good because it moves us into other action. It's only bad if we let it cripple us and, and keep us from doing something. But regularly, there are things where we're going, I, I, I've got to take some action here, otherwise this is going to fall apart. And that stress, in a sense, moves us to where we need to be. And so in that regard, it's a valuable thing if it's in the right framework. So in 1 Peter, it says, God cares for you. Turn all your worries over to him. It's a contemporary English version. Colossians. In the same way with emotional uh, life, and, and we can talk about stress and fears, Forgiveness is huge, right? An experience, uh, even in the last week, where I realized I'd been holding something against someone that, not in here, not in here. I would never admit that about you in here now. But I had, you know, and it's, it's just like I'm, I'm preparing a message. You know, I, I don't have much chance to escape it. As I'm chewing on these verses, it's suddenly, oh, I'm not necessarily wishing well for this person. I'm not really wishing for their success. Why is that? And I realized, I need to let this go. It's not appropriate. It says, uh, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If someone happens to have a complaint against someone else, uh, remember that the Lord has forgiven you. So forgive others. That's Colossians 3.13. First Peter one twenty-two says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First John says, Dear friends, if God loved us, then also we ought to love one another. It's virtually every day we could be asking ourselves, Am I loving appropriately? You know, am I driving away selfishness and I, am I embracing what the Lord is asking of me? And then even regarding fear, it says, God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and self-control. So again, emotional well-being, 
God invests in. And he's willing to take care of our lives, so to speak. That's why many in here will talk about sozo experiences where this memory comes up. I love that, Ed, where you were mentioning how you know, buried in sand and being bit by ants and brought you into claustrophobia, but now God's saying, ah, let's, let's be done with this. What an incredible thing. Why did that memory come back now? Except the goodness of God would draw that out. And he does that for each of us. Where things that happened in our childhood or early adulthood, it, it, it really doesn't matter when. He's willing to turn those into positive memories rather than the destructive edge that pokes us every time it comes up. Let's look at physical health and well-being. It's interesting to me that the Old Testament law was so caught up with the dietary law in that God actually had something to say for that group of people that were walking through the wilderness. He, he, he spoke to them what he wanted them to eat and when and, and all of this. And you're going, well, if that's possible, maybe he's got some things to say today as well, if I'll listen. That's all the further I'm going on that one. Um, but also, I want to make mention that Peter quotes Isaiah, and he talks about him bearing our sins and, and bearing, uh, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. And the idea is physical healing as well as spiritual healing in that context. James, is anyone ill? Summon the elders of the church. Pray, anoint them with oil, and the Lord will raise them up. So again, there is a dimension available to us, even in this setting regarding physical health. Uh, even in 1 Timothy, you remember that verse where Paul's telling Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. What's he saying? It's like medicine. You need to take care of yourself. And so he's, he is involved in this saying, this is part of our relationship to God as well. So there are times when we're going, I don't know what I can do to, to, to be in better condition, so to speak. And it's completely appropriate to call out to the Lord and say, what do you desire and what should I be doing? Lead me to the sources that will connect me or just heal me. I don't care how it gets done. Let's, let's just see it happen. Daniel, and when he's one of the ones that got hauled off to Babylon that Jeremiah was talking about, and when he's about to be elevated into leadership in their government, He's going, uh, I don't want to eat what's been offered to me. Even though it was the choicest of foods and drink, he's going, that does, that's not consistent with my worship of the Lord. And he's just going, I don't want to do this. So he, he pulled that into his daily living. And I'm suggesting that there is a measure of physical well-being involved when, if we'll let the Lord be involved in that. Let's go on to four. And, and um, this is intellectual well-being or knowledge. Second um, Timothy says in the modern King James Version, study earnestly to present yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
In Acts chapter 17, there's a story told of the Bereans in verse 11. It says they were noble because every time they heard the message, they'd go home and study the scriptures and make sure it was right. So there was something to this where they were just saying, we've got to know, and we've got to know that this is correct. But taking that wider, it's like we have a reasoning ability given to us by the Lord we have the benefit of tremendous resources that can train us. And we have the right to call upon the Lord and say, lead me to the right voices. Lead me to the right books, to the right programs, to the right conversations that will hone my mind to be all that it can be in you. That I might walk in wholesomeness before you. The fifth one put down is experiential wisdom. And this is through the experiences of life, we gain practical knowledge. Remember Bezalel and Holiab, how they were chosen to form the articles of the, the tabernacle in the wilderness? They had special skills or gifts for the trades. And God assigned them to that particular program. But I also remind you that in that same era, Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, his father-in-law comes to him and says, yeah, what you're doing is not so good. You're here all day with people. Appoint some judges. And then they can take care of the simpler things. And if it gets real complex, they can come to you. But otherwise, you're just going to wear yourself out. So here's the great leader. Here's the one who's leading several million people. And he's an incredible property. meets with God. He still is needing the experience of his father-in-law said, oh, that's a beautiful verse. No, I'm just kidding. He's needing, <laughs> missed it, didn't you? <laughs> no. He's needing that help. And, and then later on, when uh, Hobab's about to leave, Moses said, no, no, you're the one that can pick out the campsites. You're the one that knows. You know, he understood. And so he's relying on the experience of others to guide his life. And in the same way, that's our privilege when we have practical experience or also when we can glean off of others. Another brilliant man in Scripture, Solomon, right? The guy that's you know, had all this wisdom, wrote all the Proverbs and such. What did David say about him? He said, this is a young, inexperienced man. He's not capable of building the temple, temple without some help. And so David spent the last years of his, of his life making preparations for the building of the temple. He's just saying, it's too much to put on this young man. So I'm, gonna, I'm the person with experience. I can get this done. And so he carries it out. God can give us the experiences we need and the understanding of those experiences to make most use for our own well-being. Six, social relationships. There's a certain understanding that comes through family primarily, but then others, as we begin to associate and we learn how to interact with one another. And all of us, I think, would at points look at 
portions of our family life and say, we didn't do that very well. Or we, we haven't really learned what we need to learn here. And yet, there is a learning that can happen in the Lord that's awesome. You know, when, when, uh, when they talk about marriage and saying the two become one, who's, who's making it one? It's God. And, and so he's heavily involved in that, and he's saying, it's important that you do this well because you're an example of my relationship with you. And then he goes on to, to children and says, there's dynamics here. And we have the right to call out and say, Lord, I need your help here. I don't know how to get this done. And I know that if I rely on what my family did, that's not too wise. One of the things that Shar uh, and I realized that when we were visiting family pretty regular some years ago, um, both of us had some issues in our family life, in our upbringing that we inherited from our family. And so on my side, there was a, a way of dealing with things where it was either run them over or duck and hide. You know, dominate or duck. The, those, those were the two options. There really wasn't much middle ground. You know, and I had to come to terms with that and say, that wasn't health. That wasn't what God wanted. But it might have been the way that our family functioned. And we got things done, but still there's a better path. And we, we walked through many things that way and just going, there are things that, you know, we can do better. Um, one of the things like for our family, well, the, both of us came out of relatively low-income families. And so we learned how to live on little, but we didn't necessarily learn how to use money for benefit. Now, we can, we can, we can make a nickel scream. And, you know, we can we can live on that edge, so to speak, and not, not be bothered by it. But we aren't necessarily very smart when it comes to having something in our hand already. We weren't trained in that. But God has things to say about those issues as well. And if you're willing to learn, you can learn at any age. And that's, you know, in some ways, he wants to speak to us in regard to our relationships. Listen to this out of Proverbs 22:11. The one who loves a pure heart, whose speech is gracious, the king will be his friend. He says that's going to kind of open doors for people. If your speech is gracious and you're pure in heart, he says, people are going to enjoy being with you. And it's going to open doors. Here's another one. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So not every friendship relationship is just for, oh, the feel-goods. But there are times when true friends are going to speak into our lives a word that needs to be heard and help us to get over a hurdle that we've yet to get over. Let's look at another one. Let's look at well-being in regard to cultural and societal norms. a beautiful thing. Is anybody else hearing that or is it just a beautiful thing? <laughs> Please tell me you are. Um, when the children of Israel were being sent to Babylon by the Lord, he tells them to pray for the city's blessing. 
he, he encourages them that they need to seek the prosperity of that city because it has direct impact on their lives as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, First of all, then I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all people, even for kings who are in authority, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So in that regard, government is a big deal. And how government functions is a big deal. And so it's appropriate that we would pray for well-being in regard to government relationships. Let's look at another one, eighth one. Let's look at well-being in regard to natural resources. Listen to this out of Deuteronomy verses, or chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks, springs, and fountains, flowing forth in valleys, hills, and land of wheat, barley, vine, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive trees, and honey, a land where you may eat food in plenty and will find no lack of anything, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you can mine copper. So God was involved with where he brought them even regarding environment. And so when we look around and we're saying, okay, how do I function here? You know, what do I need to know to live well in this region? It's appropriate to ask the Lord. He's willing to speak to our hearts in such things. He has an eye even on the environment. We look at land and water and air and all of that, and we're going, God has answers for each of those things. Finally, in regard to well-being, let's look at uh, financial money. I, I purposely put this way down on the list because the truth is, if the rest of those things are in order, it doesn't have the weight that sometimes we give it. We want to bump it on up the list, but the truth is, if we're willing to put our lives together, even in our interaction with people and, and, and our emotions, we can, we can live uh, pretty much on any financial level. That said, Deuteronomy says, be careful not to say, my own ability and skill have gotten this wealth. You must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives ability to get wealth. So again, when, when you're looking and saying, yeah, I could use a few more bucks, it's appropriate to say, God, what do you have for me? Is this just a selfish thirst in my heart, or is this legitimate? And if it is legitimate, then I ask for wisdom as to what job I should be employed at, or what I should sell, or how I should do things so that I can flourish financially. If you give the ability to give wealth, well then, Lord, help me to understand that either you have me in this place for a reason, and it's good, or you have intent to teach me how to do better. Finally, a tenth issue regarding material possessions. Last one. You have your finance, but you also have what you've accumulated around you. I just call that possessions. 
And there is a sense of well-being with that as well. It's interesting that the New Testament talks about accumulation as not being just for ourselves. But rather, regularly, there's interjected this idea that if you've been given plenty, that may mean that you have been given enough to help someone else out. And so it's kind of a, an intriguing idea. He says in Matthew 19, 29, Whoever has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So he's saying there is a reward, but it's putting it in the right place. In Acts chapter 4, it says the group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. No one said that any of his possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. So they were having a powerful experience in the Lord, and they, by nature, in that relationship with the Lord, were looking around them and saying, I need to help out here. I need to do something in this life. And there was a generosity that was evidenced in the group. Now, the, the sole difference between this and, say, a government doing that is a government would, say, enforce it, right? You must give this to help this person. This is not what was happening in the New Testament in this setting. It was more God speaking into a heart, them feeling the vision and burden of it, and then giving out. 1 John 3.17, Whoever has the world's possessions and sees his fellow Christian in need and shuts off his compassion against him, how can the love of God reside in such a person? So we've looked at these 10 things, and I would suggest to you that we can look at these different facets and say, okay, how am I doing in this area? Rather than just giving it that broad prosperity or you know, well-being, but how is this area being affected? And Lord, what would you say to me when I, when I go through these things? Jesus in John 10.10 10 says, I am come that you might have abundant life. You know, life abundantly. He, he's, he's saying, I, I want you to flourish. I want you to do well. John 4.14, 4, he says, I'm the fountain of water that, that springs up into eternal life. He said, I will place in you a fountain of water that springs up into eternal life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. You know, they had learned to live by his hand all the way through the wilderness, day by day being provided for. And Jesus says, I'll take care of you. It's intriguing to me that in that 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out, nor did their sandals. That's a miracle. And yet, that's what happened. And, and so we have the right to say, Lord, how am I doing in these areas? And what would you like to see become a part of my life. Let's run through these 10 real quick again. And, you, and we can just ask, Lord, do you have something to say to me this morning in this, okay? Your spiritual well-being, your emotional health, your physical health, your intellectual health and well-being, your experiential wisdom, your social relationships, your cultural and societal norms, that's around you in community, natural resources, material possessions, 
and financial savings or money. Lord, in each of those areas, let us see your hand and know what you want, desire for our lives. Amen.